learn to be effective versus right. That, that's the big takeaway in life, in relationships, in parenting, in management and leadership. I have a strong voice and I come on sometimes like a freight train. And there were some things that, that I disagreed with and they didn't matter. And all I had to do was be more effective. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec and best-selling author of The Power of Playing Offense. In my journey, I have discovered that there are two types of people in this world. The difference between elite performers and the rest of the pack, or what I like to call those that play offense versus those that play defense. Defense, always on their heels. Offense, on our toes. Defense, playing not to lose. Offense, playing to win. Defense, the market dictates the terms. Offense, we operate on our terms. Playing with purpose, playing with passion, and taking control of our future. So now, the question is, how do you want to play? And here on the Playmakers Podcast, we play offense 10 out of 10 times. As we ramp up toward today's episode, pull out your notepad so you can capture all the action so we can make plays and level up together. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Scott O'Neill into the conversation. With more than 20 years of experience in the NBA, NHL, and NFL, Scott has earned a reputation as a leader of leaders, formerly serving as CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils, president of Madison Square Garden, senior vice president at the NBA League office. The list goes on and on. He has made countless 40 under 40 lists, including Adweek and Sporting News, while also being tabbed as one of the most influential people, innovative executives, and admired CEOs, leading to appearances on CNN, CNBC, Fox Business, even co-hosting multiple shows on Bloomberg Television. My favorite piece on Scott, he has a passion for company culture like none other and genuinely puts people first as he inspires teams to live, work, play, and win. I hope you're as fired up for the conversation as I am. And as a reminder, many of the key takeaways of today's show can be found in the show notes on playmakerspod.com. With that, let's welcome Scott O'Neill into the Playmakers Podcast. Scott, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? Paul. Much better than I deserve. Good to see you. You look fantastic. You sound great. Congrats on the baby. You are in the thick of it all right now, my friend. In the thick of it. Yeah, back and better than ever. Um, Eight months going on eight years into the journey, right? Every single night, it has me questioning the bigger picture of life. But uh, like you've been through the rodeo yourself, man, it's just such a beautiful blessing. And um, with that, look, I know you're massive into family and we're definitely going to dip into what some might call work-life balance. Maybe we call it harmony. I've heard about your recipe for fulfillment. But the truth of the matter is we were going to do this a couple months back and you were in something called the thick of the NBA playoffs, 
which then the following month turned into, you said, brother, I'll catch you on the other side. I got a trip to Africa, Mozambique to be specific. And here we are on the other side. So just catch us all up on behalf of the Playmakers. What were you doing in Mozambique? Well, sure. Well, thank you for asking. I, um, you know, I went with a group called HEFI, H-E-F-Y. It's a humanitarian exchange for youth. And my daughter, my 17-year-old daughter, asked me to go with her. And um, you'll find out when your son gets a little older, when, you, when a teenager asks you to do something and you get to spend time, you jump at it. And so, and I'm, I'm not, like my kids are very civic-minded. They, they, they're, they're global citizens. My older daughter has served, um, she was in, in Zambia living in the floor of a tent working with orphans for a summer. And then the next summer, I say that with a smile because I can't believe, like, I, I that is not um, where I'm going to make my mark in the world. And and then she was in a, working in a Syrian refugee camp in Athens the next summer. And um, that was Alexa. And my daughter, Kira, is definitely following her footsteps. She said, I want to go to Mozambique. Um, I want you to come. And, you know, there are two adults that go. And um, we're going to be building a school. And I thought, you know, it is summer. And I like to be at the beach. <laughs> now, um, but I, I, I honestly... From the moment we took off with these incredible 20 kids um, to the moment we landed, I, I knew I was in the right place. And um, it's the third poorest country in the world. Uh, apparently, the unemployment rate where we were was in the 90 percentile. Um, and we were in several houses with no running water and no electricity. And it was humbling. I mean, I, I, I talked about, you mentioned blessed or blessings. I mean, we, we, there is not an area in the U.S. that wouldn't have been like the Four Seasons where we were. Um, but I, I, I will tell you, I was um, I learned several lessons lessons there on the construction site. I have no skill. I'm an unskilled labor for sure. And so um, Mario, who's our foreman, didn't speak any English, and I don't speak any Portuguese. But we did have a young lady on the trip, Kylie, who spoke Portuguese, who helped direct traffic, which was awesome. So I was definitely driven to the unskilled labor part. And and uh, the first day they had me um, wheeling cement barrels. I don't know if you've ever done that, but um, I did it once when I was 14, I was um, digging pools. And I remember being so little that I, I couldn't control the weight. And, um, and eventually I would like just tip over. And then the guys, because I was the youngest, obviously at 14, they'd either yell at me or make fun of me. So I was pretty confident walking in this. I'm probably 100 pounds heavier than I was at 14. Um, in relatively good shape. I'm thinking like, I have this, no sweat. And so the guys in the cement mixing crew, our teens were, were loading up the wheelbarrow. And I set to go down this little path on this, you know, kind of two by four. And it went down this little hill and then you make a left, you know, push it for maybe 20 yards, go up on the sidewalk. And then one of the kids would just help lift it into the school room. That was like the drill. And so I get going on my first one and it's moving a little faster than I thought it was going to. And the way it is going and all I keep thinking about is don't drop any because resources are so precious there. I was concerned about, I didn't just want to drop, I didn't want to drop a drop. And so I get to that turn and I know I'm not making the turn. So all I'm saying is like, let me just come in for a nice landing. So I just go right into the sand and then, you know, just knowing why I just, you know, put my thigh on the end of the wheelbarrow. I'm just pushing it like, you know, an inch every 10 seconds or so. I just keep rocking back and forth and pushing it. And then uh, my daughter and this, this gal, um, Kate came over and they just lifted up the wheelbarrow and put me back on the two by four and I just pushed it. And I, I, you know, doing that for nine hours, you think about a lot of things. And um, what I was thinking about was how analogous that is for life and, and life in the sports business. Because when you're on that path, and the path can be your career path, or it can be 
you know, your path in, 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 in creating a great family life or it can be your, you know, your whole mind, body, soul experience on that path is freaking hard to do anything of meaning is hard. It's hard work. It takes discipline. It takes a little bit of luck. You got to surround yourself with the right people. It takes all this whole village to get you there. Um, and the only thing that's harder than that is when you get off that path. And that's the thing that was interesting. I get in that stand and I'm like stuck. And then instead of like instinctually raising my hand and saying, hey, ladies, can you come lift up this wheelbarrow and put it back on? And by the way, my friend said to me, is that humbling? I'm like, not really. And I said, well, two teenage girls come and lift up. The I was like, I, what do you want me to do? I was stuck in sand. You know, and, and I thought, man, I've been off. I've been off the, the board several times and I've been in sand. And, and when things go well, typically I raise my hand and I say, hey, I need some help. And then someone puts you back on, you're on your way. Um, but I, I thought that was like, that was an incredible life lesson for me. And then secondly, um, we, were, we were building scaffolding. You know, scaffolding is like what allows you, it's almost like a ladder, but it allows you to move laterally across the whole board. So we had built scaffolding out of, out of tree sticks, you know, tree branches. And it was not very, it's not very stable. And uh, we had one of our young men, Clayton, fall off the scaffolding. It's about like 10 feet high. It's a bad fall. And I'm looking at him, I'm watching him fall. And I'm thinking like, oh, crap. You know? And he falls on his back on a cinder block. And amazingly, the cinder block breaks and he pops up. And he's like, oh, my back. And I'm thinking like, if that's me, you are carrying me to the hospital. And, um, and my daughter, Kira, says, um, yeah, this, this, we can't do it like this. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, we have to fix this. And I was like, well, tell me more. She's like, I'll take care of it tomorrow. She's 17 years old. Okay, so we uh, we come in this, the the work site the next day, and she's literally just directing people. Hey, go grab those two boards. I need you to go grab that wire. And sure enough, she takes the branches, puts like boards on top, fastens the wire. I'm like I'm like she's directing me, right? So I'm like fastening the wire. She's like, it has to be tighter. You have to tighten it up. And we hop back up on the on the scaffolding that day. It was more stable. And um, and she was she was giving a lesson to the to the kids the next day, uh, a little devotional, and she said. You know, I feel like that scaffolding is a lot like life, right? It's a lot. It's unsteady. It's messy. It's unsettling. Sometimes we fall off. He's like, but think about what we came in the next day. We we stabilized. We did the work. We prepared. And now we go to serve. And I was like, huh. Like those kinds of lessons every single day, which was just awesome. It was, it was inspiring and humbling. And, and I came back with this incredible renewed energy and gratitude for living this country. Yeah, well, what I love about what you just shared on behalf of your daughter, Kira, yourself, just all these intricacies and these lessons that you just pointed out for all of our Playmaker community to listen in. And in fact, and knowing Playmakers, many have done work overseas. Many do come from a place of deeper cause or mission. And I'm sure there's other folks listening in saying, I want to seek that type of an opportunity to gain that perspective. So maybe let's turn this back inward. What if I haven't done something like what you just experienced? How can I gain perspective where I am? Here in my current life, maybe I'm in the US, maybe I'm early in my career. I just haven't had that opportunity. What, what advice would you have on how we can gain perspective with what we already have access to? Yeah, I mean, the, the most beautiful thing is, is that there's so many opportunities to serve. And I, I, I don't mean to keep going back to service, but for me, um, 
you know, if you're young in your career, you're ambitious in your career, if you're a, a, a Gen Zer, you generally see the world a lot wider than I saw it when I was your age. Uh, For sure. I, I love this generation is so interested in their mission driven, their vision driven. They want to make the world better and they found it. Their, their worldview on inclusion and diversity is so much more sophisticated than I was and had at their age. And so, so it, it most likely those, that group is telling that could, could lecture to us as to here are three things I'm doing to serve. Agreed. If not, um, I think it depends on what your interests are. You know, um, the, the good news is, is if, if you're in, in, um, in scattershot of any major U.S. city, there's incredible need. And if it's about mentoring kids, find a charter school, find a Boys and Girls Club, find a YMCA. If it's, um, you know, about um, the homeless, they're incre- it's incredible work you can do with homeless shelters. Pick up the phone and call one. Stop down. Soup kitchen. Um, take your holidays. You know, it's like what a great opportunity around the holiday time, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Go serve somebody. Um, in particular, um, with um, you know the homeless shelters, it's an incredible opportunity to, to you know maybe create a Christmas for a family that that didn't have that opportunity. I don't know. I think there's so many opportunities to to go and serve. Um, if you just like into physical activity or outdoors, maybe there's a park that needs cleaning. Like I, I there's a great organization, Just Serve, it's called. And if you go to Just Serve, they'll list so many projects that need help. That's a great place to start. Hmm. Well. And where you're bringing us to as well, Scott, is this, and I used to think that most things that were purpose-driven involved something that you just described, meaning there's a mission, there's a cause, perhaps we're in a third world country. What I have realized over the years is certainly what you just said checks every single meaningful box of purpose and contribution and impact. But I would also argue that service can happen every day of your life inside of your home. I could argue it happens inside of your working team. You helping the person to your left or right, regardless of what resources they have or don't have, is an act of service. And so you start there. And once you can connect it perhaps to a bigger passion, that may lead you into a cause like what you just described. But I, I think the answers are right under our nose sometimes. I, I think you're so right. I, I, my formula is like you have to take care of yourself first. Like it always has to be the person in the mirror. Like you can't take care of your family. You can't take care of your work. You can't take care of your community unless you're physically, emotionally, spiritually um, well. And I think that's where that's – I'd love to think about that too. It's like how you, how you get there because that's where it starts. And then obviously you know your family, then your work, then, then the greater community. But I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think – you know, when you're looking for, when you're my age, I'm 51 years old, I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for like, okay, why do I do what I do? Why do I work so much? Why do I spend the hours I spend? Why do I want this again? Why do I want more of this? And I, I know I know what the answer is because my wife was pressing me on this um, after I left HBSE. I just said, okay, there's two reasons. One is I want to help. I want to help um, develop the next great generation of leaders. It's something I'm very passionate about. And the second thing is I like these platforms in sports entertainment. I like them because you can, they can help make a difference in the world. And it's small. It's not, you know, I'm not like splitting atoms. I'm not doing brain surgery. We're not um, solving world hunger. But we are like creating these little pockets of energy um, in the communities where we live, work, and play. And we're making a difference. And I love that. So those are my, my two whys, if you will. 
Yeah. So let's double click on one of those right now. So you said to develop the next generation of leaders. So and, and this is where you and I connect so much, Scott, because having read your book, Be Where Your Feet Are, and then naturally you endorsing the power of playing offense. And really, I think purpose was what brought us together in the sense of we have our mission is to help people. Right. And, and we can add some nuance to that. And in your case, the leadership piece. But how would you respond to something like this? If we want to double click on leadership, the premise of my book was before you lead others, you must first lead yourself. And you don't need a title to lead yourself, right? So if you think about leadership of self and then there's separately leadership of others, leadership of team, all playmakers out there can lead themselves. So if you had a couple pieces of either tactical advice or just some perspective on these are the two or three things that I would advise given the experience that I have on how you can best lead yourself. Yeah, well, I'd say the formula is pretty simple. I'd say you do... You do something for your mind, something for your body, and something for your soul every day. You get the right amount of sleep, you practice gratitude, and you put your phone down and get your head up. And and I, I think that's how you lead yourself. I think you have we have to take care of our mind, body, and spirit. And I think it's a lost art. And I know it's hard because you're grinding. But man, oh man, it's like, can you do 20 minutes of exercise a day? Of course you can. Can you... Can you read something? Can you listen to this incredible podcast? Can you listen to a TED talk? Can you listen? Can you read an article every day? Of course you can. Can you um, can you spend ten minutes and get some stillness? You know, not everybody wants to read scriptures and go pray. And I, I totally understand that, but you've got to find some. And you can find it in meditation. You can find it in yoga. You can find it literally just walking out in the house. Um, and you got to get sleep, and you got to practice gratitude. Paul, gratitude is the simplest thing to practice and has the greatest impact. 10 minutes, 10 seconds, 60 seconds. Write a note to your mom right now and tell you love her. Tell her you appreciate her. Tell her you're grateful for her. Tomorrow, your aunt, your uncle, your neighbor, your mentor, your teacher, your coach, your boss, whoever. But like we have to do a better job. And then we've got to like regulate ourselves. Like this, you know, this epidemic we have of mental health in this country is driven because we're staring at our freaking phones and we have them up and about and we, uh, we got to do better. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. And one thing you mentioned about gratitude. Yes, it is. It comes from abundance. I have personally and professionally seen the massive impact it can create. And the other thing is it's free, right? Like there's so many things that could be good in the world, but there's a cost. And some of us have greater access to certain things than others. But gratitude is just one of those things like it literally you can light it up at any given moment of your life. And this is where the I'm sure you've heard this, Scott, the the adage of if you're feeling helpless, become helpful. Right. And it's 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 combining that service, that gratitude, everything. So you just laid out a brief tutorial or masterclass on leading yourself. Now, let's flip it forward and let's say that you're conquering those things that you just said and you feel like you've got a good grasp in the mirror. Now, to lead others, to lead teams, is there a playbook or certain principles that you're constantly going back to? I hope so. <clears throat> I mean, one is is um, is to be your authentic self. I, I remember being young, a young executive, um, 22 years old. I was a marketing assistant. I was watching John Spolstra, the president, and I would watch everything he did, what he said, how he talked, how, what he wore, how he walked. And so, so, and, and I wanted to be him. And, and what you find out when you get older, 
is. <clears throat> You've got to find out who you are because, you know, if you're rah-rah, be rah-rah. If you're analytical, be analytical. If you're you know, kick, be kick. Um, and, and, you know, it's not one size fits all anymore. You have to be a little more malleable as a, as a leader and as a manager, but you've got to find that authentic self. Um, so that, that would be the first thing is, is you have to figure out who you are. And, and it doesn't mean that you don't learn and you don't borrow and you don't steal from people because of course we're an amalgamation of, of, you know, our experiences, you know, who we surround ourselves with and who we aspire to be. And, and I think from, from my end, I think finding your authentic self was, was one. Two is, um, Listen, just listen, be an active listener. I think three would be loving. And I know no one wants to talk about using the word love in the context of business, but I, I can't imagine a better word. Because I would say you, you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. You know, and so, um, and so I think having a true love um, of people is, is critically important. And then four, you have to understand what they're trying to achieve and then put your resources to helping them. And so if that's, they want to be the next CEO, you help them be the next CEO. If, if they want to go move to LA, you help them figure out how to move to LA. Um, and without your company, I think, you know, truly loving someone and then finding out what their uh, passions are and what they want to accomplish and then helping them get there. Um, once you have those four things in place, like le- leading becomes fun. Yeah. And let's do this in reverse order because you just – for our entire community that's listening in, you just dropped some insights that have been spread throughout all of the conversations we've had to date. So in reverse order, helping others achieve what they're trying to achieve. I really think of this as the platinum rule over the golden rule. So instead of treating others as I want to be treated, how can I treat them as they want to be treated? Because the reality is different things get Scott and Paul out of bed. And if I'm not tailoring and customizing my approach, I might right. be missing the mark. But think about like some of the leaders and managers we've worked for in the past, you know, like yellers and screamers where like they just yell and pound everybody. Yeah, just dictator stuff. Yep. Yeah. Now, like, I mean, I don't think that style works today in any capacity, but some people want to go play for Bobby Knight. Some people, you know, I don't. Um, and that's not the way you move me and motivate me. But like, wouldn't it be interesting if you actually knew your, the people you worked with well enough that you knew how to press um, and push different buttons to get the best out of them. Of course, it's like so intuitive, right? But it takes work. A hundred percent. Yeah, no. And shifting, you said love and you're right. I think that word in business 10, 20 years ago, for sure. It was kind of a taboo. You, you don't say love in business, but now you're seeing a bit of a movement and maybe the safer word. And I'm not suggesting love is a bad word, but now you're hearing the word care. And I know somebody that has uh, connected with you, supported you, and is, is a massive fan. And we all know her from her work of Radical Candor with Kim Scott, right? We hear about how critical feedback is. And the reality is it's at the intersection of, yes, challenging directly, but also caring personally. That's the love. Because I know it's coming from a good place. You know it. You know if someone loves you. You know it. And you know, yes. your feedback. I totally agree with you. I think that's a great point. Kim is a genius, by the way. But um, oh gosh, she's so good. Yeah, she's brilliant. But uh, but I, I think you you hit hit the nail on the head. Is is if if you if you if I'm working for you, and I know that you care about me deeply, and I know that you have my best interest at heart, it almost doesn't matter how you say anything, right? Because it's just a coach, right? Coach is just coach can yell at you. Coach can tell you you're awesome. You're just looking for the message in there. And I, and I totally. think once you have that trust, life gets easier. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And so now shifting back, the second thing you said was listening. Here's what's really cool about this one, Scott, is so I do leadership workshops. Uh, Again, zoom out from the pandemic. Let's assume it's a normal environment, literally all over the globe. And there's one exercise that I have called, what do great leaders do? And in that, I ask people to think of the greatest leader that they've ever had in any walk of life, a parent, a coach, a mentor, maybe it is business. And then I ask them, now that that person's in your mind, what did they do? Meaning, what were their actions and what were their behaviors? And Scott, I kid you not. I don't care if you are in China, in London, New York, anywhere that I have done this. There is a usual suspect that is batting about 900 to come out in the top five. And that usual suspect is listening. The reason is, It is so craved for by people. We desire it so much because it's exercised so rarely. We know what it feels like when somebody is hanging on the edge of their seat, empathetically listening, but we don't feel it often enough. And that's why we want it so badly. So just wanted to share that literally one of your principles, top five worldwide. Doesn't surprise me at all. I I was just... um with a friend of mine, his name's Ben Sibbett, a big time corporate attorney with Clifford Chance in New York. We were on this houseboat in the middle of nowhere in Arizona, Lake Powell. And we were, we were both, we were all of us, the whole group was telling stories and we we're all laughing. And he said, Scott, you're, you're missing the, the number one question. We're talking about how you engage your wives, how you engage daughters. That, that was the topic. And, uh, but I think it's, it's equally applicable at work. He said, first thing I ask every single time is, am I listening or am I solving? Isn't that a great ah. question? Am I listening or am I solving? Yes. I, I just love it. it. It actually, it's so resonated with me because sometimes people just want you to listen. And other times they're really interested in your solution. I'm very solution focused. If you, you bring me a problem, I want to solve it right <laughs> Well, have you tried this, this, this? Like, no, no, I just want you to listen to me. I'm struggling. I'm having a tough day. That's all I want. I want your ear. And I just thought that was such a great qualifying question. And I think the notion of, of adding those types of qualifying questions to your listening will make you much more effective in, in being able to achieve and reach the goals of, of uh, the person you're working with. Yeah. No, I've actually been given that advice more on a personal level is to say when, let's say, my wife starts going on something. So am I here to listen or am I here because you want advice? And she kind of just gives me the permission to say, no, no, I actually, this time I do want advice versus there's other times she just wants me to shut up, just wants me to listen, just wants me to pay her the respect that she deserves, all that good stuff. So no, I love it. All right. Last one was authentic leadership. Here's a cool piece, Scott is, so think of, I know you're massive on purpose. Think of if each of us was drawn to an inner compass that we have. And at the core of the inner compass is who we are. Those can be things like our purpose and our values. Then the next layer up is kind of our belief system. There are attitudes. In other words, that's what we stand for. And then the outermost layer is how we show up. Our actions, our behaviors, the way we make decisions. So essentially, when we align who we are to what we stand for, to how we show up, that is the compass that we're all operating on. And as soon as you said authentic leadership, that was something that I I was trained in this and now I coach it out to others. I just think it's a beautiful way to lead authentically, as you said. Yeah, I think that path that those concentric circles out, they they make, that's when you know you're happy. 
Like I, I oftentimes, if you're struggling or you're off or you're, I don't know, out of sorts or not finding your way on that path too, too quickly. I think if you had those concentric circles built out and you, you, you truly do an honest assessment of, of how you're doing in life against those, I imagine that when you're off, something in that, in that line in that circle is broken. As we take a short break from today's interview, I'd like to share a quick reminder to check out the episode show notes on playmakerspod.com where you will find a treasure trove of key insights, thought starters, and additional resources from today's conversation. Also, a quick shout out to our show sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. It's time to level up. So you and I, we have a blessing that landed on us. And and frankly, we had to go get it. But I also think that we're very blessed in something that both of us experienced in the year of 2021, which is we became authors. And, and one of the pieces, and I'm sure you would agree with this, I've never asked you this on camera or off, but one of the beauties of writing a book is the amount of reflection that is required to go through the process. And so I know that was the case for me. I'm assuming it's the case for you. And that's where I want to talk to you next about is in the process of writing Be Where Your Feet Are, which I thought was one of the truest, most rawest, most authentic and vulnerable writings of not only leadership, but of life that I have ever read. And every single playmaker should be picking up a copy if they haven't already of Be Where Your Feet Are. Here's what I want to ask you, though. You've had such an accomplished career, Scott. Like I look at your LinkedIn profile and you're kicking ass, man. Like I, I'm like, dude, oh my gosh, like look at this, this growth, this title, this organization. You could have written a book on that, but you didn't. You actually, not even double click, you quadruple clicked on your worst days instead of your best days. That was a bold move. You didn't have to do it that way. Why did you take that approach? Yeah, that's a complex question and the answer is going to be a hair more complex, um, but a great question. I, um, I didn't intend to write a book. I, uh, my best friend took his own life and I was reeling and struggling. And, um, and oftentimes when I reel and struggle in my life, I go back to different things in life. One is I play basketball for me, like the sound of a ball bouncing is escapism. Um, whether I'm playing or coaching or just watching kids play, it doesn't matter. Like that, that is an escape for me. I oftentimes read, I read, read a ton of things and I spend time with my kids. Those are like the three things that get me back to my center when I'm, when I'm uh, struggling the most. And at this point, like I, I, I had no answers. Like I tried all that stuff and nothing was working. And I was like, I was in grief. I, I spoke at the funeral and I spiraled. Like I literally thought that was going to be the low point. That was the high point. And I had trouble, you know, getting out of bed in the morning and going to sleep at night. And somebody would say something at work and it burst into tears. Like I was a train wreck. Um, and I, you know, talk about like not, I mentioned earlier, like raising your hands to raise my hand. Um, and I started writing to heal. And so and the stories I found myself writing were about when I was struggling and what I learned. And, and it wasn't for publication. It was literally because that was my escape. 
And uh, my wife, um, obviously, saw that I'd been uh, been in the tank and, and called one of her friends. He's a friend of mine, too, but much better friend of his, hers. And his name is Randall Wright, and he came to see me and asked me a bunch of questions. And he's written a dozen books. And so he's like, well, tell me what you're working on. Lisa said you're writing a lot. I said, well, not really. It's just like journal stuff. And he's like, Scott, can you imagine if you shared this with the world? Can you imagine like a CEO sharing some vulnerability and – and I, he's like, can you imagine if you reach one per like one person, like you actually touch the life of one person? And um, I was like, I, I, I don't know. I was like, I need you to think about it. So I thought about it, and, that, and then I uh, I went for it. I was actually reading Ride of a Lifetime. I don't know if you read that book with um, by Bob Iger, and um, pretty cool book. And I, I met him a couple times, and uh, I mean, he couldn't put me out of one man crowd, but I met him a couple times. <laughs> with him. And um, and I remember reading at one part, and he talks about like wanting to be CEO of Disney so badly. And having a nervous breakdown. He literally writes about it. And that was my favorite part of the book. Like there were other cool things he did and other, you know, but, but I was like, all right, like you can actually like identify with him. You know, the, the reality is his life is really messy. And when I was 22, I told you like, I am going straight to the moon. I was, you know, I was full of confidence. I was full of ambition. I was ready to go, ready to work, you know? And, and I remember reading this, reading this article, it's like, Every great CEO experiences these 10 things. And one was like, you know, running a company to the ground. One was getting fired. One was, you know, all this other bad stuff. And I was like, this is like a hogwash. Like this is a joke. And sure enough, as I, as I look in the mirror now, I've run a company to the ground. I've been fired. Like I get the drill. Like I, I've been through it. And, um, and, and not, not in a way that I, I you know, I, I feel like it's a ble- like talking about blessing what a blessing to be going through all this stuff and, and get the incredible life lessons of learning. And so that's the, the, the origin. If you understand the origin, then you understand the book. Like the origin is not like victory dance. Um, let me ride on a, on a pony and celebrate all the incredible things I've done. And by the way, I've had the time and career of a lifetime. Like I have had so much fun. I've worked with some amazing people. I continue to be challenged and love this industry and the people in it. Um, but I, I didn't think that was uh book worthy if you will um this this one <laughs> by the way i mean I, i'd be interested in, in your journey it was hard like it was hard like and i you know i'm sure you know half the free world i know half the free world it was hard to get the right agent it was hard to sell a book it's hard to sell books it's hard to promote a book like everything learning a new industry was really intellectually interesting for me um but i'd be interested in in, in where you found some struggle and trouble and where it was easy yeah well that's a great question and to your point, I think what so as a speaker, I always say all that the world sees is on stage, but the hard work happens off stage. Like for me, going out there and performing and doing everything and inspiring and trying to transform just one life at a time, that actually comes easy to me. But the stuff that nobody sees, man, that's that's the part. And you know, spending 15 years in sports and in your case, it, that was my journey. You're decades in and still going. Um, there's a lot of things that become old hat. You get very comfortable. You feel like you stopped growing. You stop being challenged in many ways. And so I think the hardest part for me was just tearing through the muscle all over again. But I'm back to being a rookie. And you know what? You know what every author has in common? 
we've all had shitty writing at the beginning. <laughs> you know, like, like that's what we all have. Like, I, like the world sees this polished, beautiful ending. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dude. Like if you would have parachuted into day one, nobody would have picked it up. I, w- I, I, I don't know if you went through this. I even questioned like, who the heck is going to read this? Yeah. You know, like you, on a bad writing day, you definitely go to those depths. And I think that was probably the biggest uh, just challenge in the mind, but I, it was all for purpose, all for impact. And to me, purpose is the fuel of courage and resilience, right? Like I'm always going to get up off the mat if it's for a bigger reason versus if I really wasn't trying to help people with my book, I would have given up 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I think it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I had this one agent, uh, who obviously did not become my agent for, uh, for on her account, but she said she talking blah, 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 blah. blah and I was like, Wait, 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 let me see if I understand what you said. Did you just say like, I can't write, this isn't a book, nobody will buy it. And even if some publisher is dumb enough to buy it, nobody will read it. She's like, pretty much. I'm like, holy crap. Like that is humility. humility? You know, you like, and then you figure out like, okay, okay, okay. I'm not, I've never been talent. You're talent. You know, I'm not, I'm not your talent. I'm, I manage talent. Like I, it was the first time in my life. I'm like, okay, I totally get it. So when somebody comes in and shows me, uh, a, you know, some content they're working on, I'm like, this is terrible. Like, I need to figure out how to deliver <laughs> my feedback better. <laughs> hey, holy Lord. I was like, Psh. I'm like, oh, okay, that one hurt. Um, but yeah, no, there were, there were plenty of times writing um, and with my agent, Dan Miller, it was amazing. You know, you're getting real feedback and uh, it was it was a lot to take. And, and I, I think you're right. Like, you go back to, I just kept saying if I can impact one person, this is worth it. One, you know, and, and I'm sure you got this too from your book. Like, I mean, I'm getting, I mean, my mom loved it for whatever it's worth. She thinks I'm a genius and handsome and cute. Um, <laughs> but, but to get notes from perfect strangers that you, you didn't know, it's like, Hey, I want to be a better, you made me want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. I'm going to be better in my life. And, and you know, like that, those notes that I get on LinkedIn quite a bit, it's like, all right. You know, one down, you know, and so, uh, so I'm, it's been, it's been pretty cool, but man, the humility. A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially in your case, in my case, where there's a lot of life journey. Part of this is because it's our first book, right? Like I'll, I, I, I'm guesstimating here. I think my magic number is going to get close to 10 by the time that I hang up the cleats and I want to eventually pay it forward, write kids books. Like I'm going to get generationally younger in my message intentionally because I just want to catch people earlier, right? Like I, I just think you see a bigger runway, but anyways, where I'm going with all this is that I think the first one having a lot of life journey and being given that harsh and critical feedback, like for anybody listening in, this is not everybody's going to become an author, nor should you always want to be. I think if it comes from your heart and your soul and you're determined to help people, that could be a very cool path to take, but it is far from the only one. And that's where I want to ask you one of our closing questions here, Scott, is, you know, playmakers, we even the way that we brand the show intentionally, we say it is a look beyond the trophy cabinet. In order to be a guest, we assume your trophy cabinet is full, but I'm not going to just ask you about your trophies because other podcasts do a very good job of that. I actually want to know the person under the person under the person of what inspired that comeback story, that transformational journey. So if I were to ask you, there's 
literally a dozen plus of just wow pain points or failures or learning moments that you spotlight about your life and the lives of others, of course, but I want to focus on you for this question that you have inside of your book. Could I ask you which one, if you had to pinpoint one of those valleys in life that has molded you the most, shaped you the most, grown you the most, developed you the most? I'm sure there's many toward the top of that list, but is there one that you could talk to us not only about what the experience was, but the process on how you eventually overcame it and have grown from it? Yeah, I I think Madison Square Garden, my experience in Madison Square Garden, um, you know, as a a New York kid and being able to be president of Madison Square Garden at a young age was uh, pretty much the dream of a lifetime. And and I didn't, like I did, there was some incredible work done but I had a lot to learn and, and I had to grow up. And, um, and that was at fire from there after four years. And it was some of the most memorable, incredible, wonderful four years of my life in many, in many cases. And also the most kind of brutal and tragic and mistake laden in my entire life. And so my, my takeaways from there were, were pretty big. One was probably the, the biggest overarching was, Learn to be effective versus right. That, that's the big takeaway in life, in relationships, in parenting, in management, in leadership. Um, and I, I was, you know, I, I was, I have a strong voice and I come on sometimes like a freight train. And there were some things that, that I disagreed with and they didn't matter. And all I had to do was be more effective, like work towards being effective versus right. You're right. Congratulations. You know, the Titanic just, just sunk, but congratulations, you were right. It's a beautiful ship. You know, it was like that over and over and over again. And sometimes I think back, like, are there three or four situations I could have handled better and differently? Um, yes, 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 yes. So that, that was the first one. The second one was I got the crap kicked out of me there um, <clears throat> when I got fired in the media. And, and it's, it's not like Philly's, like, they actually, you know, put a shovel in your face. But, but in New York, it was the first time I'd been a public figure. Um, and that didn't feel good. And I was surprised at how badly, how like it stung me because you think you're, you're the eye of your own storm. Like you think everyone's reading everything and like, no one, like you're only the only one reading everything about you. That's it. Just, um, but it, it gave me some context, um, working with my daughters as they were some victims of cyberbullying and, you know, just regular like social anxiety and crap stuff that they deal with. Their girlfriends are on Instagram and she's not invited, but all that stuff. I kind of got it, you know, as a dad, because I, I had I had seen that and experienced it. So I think that was a, a really, really valuable lesson. Um, and then just, you know, the understanding of just brand, I mean, the magnitude of those brands, um, which I hadn't had as much appreciation for. And we had, when Sanity was there, when I was there, I mean, it was <laughs> it's pretty wild. So, you, you know, you have two New York teams in the playoffs um, for two of the four years and, and the, the world's on fire. Um, so I, I think for me, like getting, getting fired from a place that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life and the rest of your career, that was a kick in the teeth. Um, then to get, get pummeled and then to have the reflection to know the part you played. Because the first time we do something, something happens to us, what do we do? We just, we just point. Oh, yeah, you point the finger. Yeah. It was John. It was Frank. It was Sally. It was Joan. You know, and you forget. It's like these three fingers are pointing right back at you and and so it gave me a chance to, to do a lot of self-reflection. But that has definitely transformed um, the way I lead, the way I manage. Um, 
it's raising, raised my like sense of, of humility and, and, uh, kind of love people, quite frankly. Well, I appreciate you opening up to that level. And the other piece here is if I could just take a line from your book, uh, at that point in time, it probably wouldn't have been fair to say that you were, I know you're always massive on leading from the front. Also, look at the title of the book. If you're being honest with yourself, were you where your feet are at all moments of that chapter? And I think the honest reflection is, well, for one, all is a very strong word, but even for the majority, and I think you're just being brutally honest to say, look, I could level up in that area, and I have, and I did, and I'm proud of it, and now I got to keep going, right? And so I, I think for all of us that want to be more present, uh, be more connected to who is around us and, and the most important people and things in our life, the things that really matter um, I, I think that's personally what I took from your book outside of loving the spirit of the way it was written. It kind of just gave me a minimalist approach to saying what really matters? Why does it matter? And how can I be more intentional about building a life around these things and people so that I can achieve? It's not even success, Scott. It's significance. Oh, that's that's. You should have written the back back jacket cover. That's very, very funny. <laughs> uh, that's, that's exact. That was exact intention of the book. That's a lot. So where can folks, of course, I, I'm assuming Amazon's the best place, but in terms of just finding the book, following you, how can all playmakers out there just follow the journey of Scott O'Neill going forward? First of all, playmakers, keep following this guy. Um, he is on a stratospheric rise to the top. And uh, Paul is one of the great leaders of our time, thought leaders, uh, love to hear he's coaching and making a difference, but uh, but you're in the right place with the right guy. Um, on me, for me, uh, LinkedIn is a wonderful place to find me, as is Twitter, um, as is Instagram. So uh, all that Scott O'Neill. So I'm an early adopter, so I get my my. <laughs> you got it, you got it. All right, here's the grand finale and the mic drop. So assume every responsibility in your life, from financial, family, everyone's in good health, good spirits. Take financial out of it. If you could dedicate the rest of your life working toward one thing, what would it be? Now, that is a powerful question. I would dedicate my life to developing leaders at home, at church, at work, and everywhere in between. I, I think that the world is complex. It is changing really rapidly. But the core principles that you hear Paul talk about every week on playmakers matter. Um, their focus on on how to lead at a high level will will transform this world in, in a way that that we can't possibly imagine. And so that's how I want to spend the rest of my days. I love it so much, Scott. Appreciate you, brother. We will be following you closer than you know it, and back at you on all those compliments, man. Just keep being where your feet are and inspiring one person at a time. Hey, anything, anytime on my end. You're amazing. Thank you. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another playmaker. And if you gain significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, would so appreciate if you gave us a five-star rating. For all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from this show, but all previous episodes as well. 
If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in from. And on a personal note, I'd love to connect one-to-one. Hit me up anytime on LinkedIn at Paul Epstein or Instagram at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Detroit Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers. Playmakers.